This is the Internet Multicasting Service. Harper Audio presents poet, classical scholar, and novelist Robert Graves reading from his mythological study, The White Goddess. Since the age of 15, poetry has been my ruling passion, and I have never intentionally undertaken any task or formed any relationship that seemed inconsistent with poetic principles. And this has sometimes won me the reputation of an eccentric. Prose has been my livelihood, but I have used it as a means of sharpening my sense of the altogether different nature of poetry. And the themes that I choose are always linked in my mind with outstanding poetic problems. At the age of 59, I am still amused at the paradox of poetry's obstinate continuance in the present phase of civilization. Although regarded as a learned profession, it is the only one for the study of which no academies are open and in which there is no yardstick, however crude, by which technical proficiency is considered measurable. Poets are born, not made. The deduction that one is expected to draw from this is that the nature of poetry is too mysterious to bear examination. It is indeed a greater mystery even than royalty since kings can be made as well as born, and the quoted utterances of a dead king carry little weight either in the pulpit or the public bar. The paradox can be explained by the great official prestige that still somehow clings to the name of poet, as it does to the name of king, and by the feeling that poetry, since it defies scientific analysis, must be rooted in some sort of magic, and that magic is disreputable. European poetic law is indeed ultimately based on magical principles, the rudiments of which formed a close religious secret for centuries, but which were at last garbled, discredited and forgotten. Now it is only by rare accidents of spiritual regression that poets make their lines magically potent in the ancient sense. Otherwise, the contemporary practice of poem writing recalls the medieval alchemists' fantastic and foredoomed experiments in transmitting base metal into gold, except that the alchemist did at least recognize pure gold when he saw and handled it. The truth is that only gold can be turned into gold, only poetry into poems. I tend to judge poets by their faithfulness to the single poetic theme of life and death, the theme which is implicit in the festal system common to all Europe, originally pagan, but Christianized in the celebrations of Candlemas, Lady Day, May Day, Midsummer Day, Lammas, Michaelmas, and Christmas. That is the quarter days and the cross-quarter days. Perfect faithfulness to the theme affects the reader of a poem with a strange feeling between delight and horror, of which the purely physical effect is that the hair literally stands on end. A. E. Hausmann's test of a true poem was simple and practical. He asked, does it make the hairs of one's chin bristle if one repeats it silently while shaving? But he didn't explain why the hair should bristle. The theme, briefly, is the antique story, which falls into 13 chapters and an epilogue, of the birth, life, death and resurrection of the god of the waxing year, the first part of the year.
The central chapters concern the god's losing battle with the god of the waning year, the second half. For love of the capricious and all-powerful threefold goddess, their mother, bride, and layer out. The poet identifies himself with the god of the waxing year and his muse with the goddess. The rival is his blood brother, his other self, his weird. All true poetry, that is, true by Hausmann's practical test, celebrates some incident or scene in this very ancient story. And the three main characters are so much a part of our racial inheritance that they not only assert themselves in poetry, but recur on occasions of emotional stress in the form of dreams, paranoid visions and delusions. The weird or rival often appears in nightmare as the tall, lean, dark-faced bedside spectre or prince of the air who tries to drag the dreamer out through the window so that he looks back and sees his body still lying rigid in bed. But he takes countless other malevolent or diabolic or serpent-like forms. The goddess is a lovely slender woman with a hooked nose, deathly pale face, lips red as rowanberries, startlingly blue eyes and long fair hair. She will suddenly transform herself into sow, mare, bitch, vixen, she-ass, weasel, serpent, owl, she-wolf, tigress, mermaid or loathsome hag. Her names and titles are innumerable. In ghost stories, she often figures as the White Lady. And in ancient religions, from the British Isles to the Caucasus, as the White Goddess. I can't think of any true poet from Homer onwards who has not independently recorded his experience of her. The test of a poet's vision, one might say, is the accuracy of his portrayal of the White Goddess and of the island over which she rules. The reason why the hairs stand on end, the skin crawls, and the shiver runs down the spine when one writes or reads a true poem is that a true poem is necessarily an invocation of the white goddess, or the muse, the mother of all living, the ancient power of fright and lust, the female spider, or the queen bee, whose embrace is death. Sometimes in reading a poem, the hairs will bristle at an apparently unpeopled and eventless scene described in it, if the elements bespeak her unseen presence clearly enough. For example, when owls hoot, the moon rides like a ship through scudding cloud, trees swayed slowly together above a rushing waterfall, and a distant barking of dogs is heard, or when a peal of bells in frosty weather suddenly announces the birth of the new year. Despite the deep sensory satisfaction to be derived from classical poetry, it never makes the hair rise or the heart leap, except where it fails to maintain decorous composure. And that is because of the difference between the attitudes of the classical poet and of the true poet to the white goddess. This is not to identify the true poet with the romantic poet. Romantic, a useful word, while it covered the reintroduction into Western Europe by the writers of verse romances of a mystical reverence for woman has become tainted by indiscriminate youth. The typical romantic poet of the 19th century was physically degenerate or ailing, 
addicted to drugs and melancholia, critically unbalanced, and a true poet only in his fatalistic regard for the goddess as a mistress who commanded his destiny. The classical poet, however gifted and industrious, fails to pass the test because he claims to be the goddess's master. She is his mistress only in the derogatory sense of one who lives in coquettish ease under his protection. Sometimes, indeed, he is her boardmaster. He attempts to heighten the appeal of his lines by studying them with beauties borrowed from two poems. In classical Arabic poetry, there is the vice known as kindling, in which the poet induces the poetic atmosphere with a luscious prologue about groves, streams and nightingales, and then quickly, before it disperses, turns to the real business in hand, a flattering account, say, of the courage, piety and magnanimity of his patron, or sage reflections on the shortness and uncertainty of human life. In classical English poetry, the artificial kindling process is often protracted to the full length of the piece. This has been Harper Audio. Harper Collins is the copyright owner of this recording and has consented to a limited distribution of Harper Audio as an 8 kilohertz computer sound file on Internet Town Hall. It is a violation of United States and international copyright laws to copy these recordings in any other way. Harper Audio is a trademark of HarperCollins Publishers, Inc. To order a copy of this tape or to request a catalog of all Harper Audio spoken word cassettes, please call 1-800-C-HARPER or 717-941-1214 or send mail to harper at town.hall.org. This has been a production of the Internet Multicasting Service. Support for Harper Audio is provided by HarperCollins and by Sun Microsystems and O'Reilly and & Associates. Network connectivity for the Internet Multicasting Service is provided by UUNet Technologies and MFS Datanet.